It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Enjoy happy hour at Dunkin' Donuts from 2 to 8 p.m. with any medium beverage for $2. Energize with a freshly brewed tea or espresso drink. Whatever medium beverage you're drinking, we're serving, and for $2 from 2 to 8 p.m. So stop by Dunkin' today and pick up any medium beverage for $2 from 2 to 8 p.m. and make it the happiest hour of your day. America runs on Dunkin'. Participation may vary, plus applicable taxes. Exclusions may apply. Limited time offer.
right, welcome back to the Heavy Metal Mayhem Radio Show. It is Sunday, March 18th. One more week to go, and March is over. This year is flying by, and if you live, you know, in the Northeast or anywhere where there's a cold weather climate, we can't wait for this month then because April kind of brings the nice spring weather. Unlike our first guest tonight, Davey Ayler from August, who lives in a nice sunny state of Florida. We'll be talking to Davey in about a half hour or so, and after that, our buddy Mike Sabatini of Attacker and Jersey Dogs from back in the day. Heaven and Hell Records are getting ready to re-release that classic Jersey Dogs record. We'll talk to Mike all about that and everything going on with Attacker. Opening up tonight's show, Raven, classic Raven, Break the Chains. The band's been putting out some really great records over the last couple of years. Uh, Joe Hasselvander, the drummer, kind of took a little bit of a leave of absence for some medical issues. I want to say it was a little over a year ago. Uh, he's still not back with the band. If I understand, uh, he's, he has some serious medical issues, and I don't know if they're going to be a permanent thing that he can't get over. I hope not. Joe's a great guy. We've had him on the show dozens of times. Always love talking to him. I don't know what's happening with him in the band right now. I haven't had any luck getting in touch with him. Uh, so hopefully things are okay and he will get back with the band. We'll see what happens. All right, we're going to keep the music flowing between now and the first guest. How about some Viking? They raped the land.
Manor War with Hail to England. What a great record. Those first three Manor War records to me are classics. I remember when we were doing the Metal Matinee. It's been about two years since we stopped doing it. We went for about eight years with that show. It was like a theme show every Wednesday we did. And we did like the Holy Trinity. Like bands who had like three classic records and everything else after that kind of paled the comparison. It just wasn't good. And I had Manor up there for the first three records. You know, the, the Battle Hymns, Into Glory Ride. And Hell to England. What a classic record. The band is out on there. I don't know if they're breaking up or it's just a final tour. These days in music, you never know. Bands say they're retiring, but they're only retiring from touring. They're not retiring from recording. They're retiring from recording, but not touring. They're going to retire altogether, but they're only going to play festivals. <laughs> you don't know if the band is really packing it in and retiring anymore. So everybody kind of goes out on that retirement tour looking to get that extra audience in there, the bigger crowd. And a year later, they said, well, you know what? So many people came out. They showed us how much they loved us. They wanted us to keep going on. So we're going to keep doing it. So I don't really know if Manu are actually going to pack it in at the end of this year or if it's going to continue. They are in their 60s. I mean, they're in great shape. You know, Eric is still one of the best singers in the business. I don't care what anybody says. You know, uh, I just love the guy's voice. All right, and before that, a band from Staten Island called Kill Van Cole. Uh, we burn it up. They had a record out, uh, I believe, in 2006. They put out their second record. That was about 20 years after the first one came out, maybe even more than that. Uh, I really never heard the second album. I don't know if it was a saxophone player on there, so I don't know if they kind of went the path of uh, Queensryche midway in the career. Uh, but they were a pretty good band, and I know they're still together today because every now and then I'll see a fly from them playing somewhere out here in Staten Island. I should go check them out. I think they're more of just like a rock and roll bar band these days, but I'm sure they do some of the originals mixed in with the set. So I have to check that out. They were a pretty cool band, I have to say. All right, we're going to talk to Dave Ayler in about 10 minutes or so. We'll give him a call. We'll get one more tune on before then. Uh, there's really not a lot going on in the metal news today. Uh, Bobby Gustafsson, who was the ex-guitar player, one of the ex-guitar players for uh, Overkill, the original guitar player. Uh, we've had Bobby on the show. He's a great guy to talk to, but he's been holding this grudge against the band for like, you know, three decades now. Uh, and, you know, if you've ever been in a band and you kind of got burned by the members, you know, I get it. I really do. But Overkill, I mean, as much as I love them, they never reached superstar status. You know, they've been playing consistently, you know, since they came out. They're still together, still doing it. I really enjoyed the last few records. Honestly, after Bobby left the band, to me, the songwriting took a big nosedive. He was a major part of the songwriting process. And those first couple of records that he wrote on, you could tell there's a difference in the songwriting. D.D. didn't have you know, the the songwriting skills that Bobby did, and he had those great riffs, so I get that, but he's always been complaining about the money, and somebody must have got a hold of one of his Facebook posts, where he bitched about, like, the royalties he was getting, like, 30-something cents, and next thing you know, there's an article on Blabbermouth about it, people are ripping into him, people are supporting him, you know, but after a while, you know, for your own self, you know, worth and your own sanity, you kind of have to let it go, I mean, even Overkill today, probably just barely make enough of what they do to sustain themselves in a minimal lifestyle. I mean, you know, it's just the way the music business is, no matter who you are and what level you're at. I mean, you know, unless you're like Judas Priest or Iron Maiden or Metallica, that's what happens. So for your own self, you know, for your own thing, Bobby, just let it go. We all know who the main guy in Overkill was back in the day, who wrote those great songs. We know it was you. But for yourself, give yourself some peace of mind. Concentrate on Satan's taint. Keep putting out good music with them. All right, how about we play a tune by August, and then we uh, we give Davey a call over there. We've got a lot to talk about. These guys have been one of my favorite bands since this EP came out, I think, in 83, in the middle of 83. I remember picking it up and been a fan since then. Uh, I'm glad that they're back together. Hopefully, they'll get some new music out, too, and be able to break out of Florida and uh, come up and down the coast, because I would love to see them. Luckily for me, I go to Florida twice a year with my family for vacation, so I'm going to have to plan a trip around one of their shows, I guess. Here's Gloomy Day, another Gloomy Day. 
Man, I could play this EP over and over again all day long, and I'm lucky enough to still have all my vinyl collections, so I'm happy about that. All right, let's get Davey on the line. Hang on a sec while I dial this number. Getting all really stinks. I got to keep taking my glasses off to look down on a piece of paper for the phone number. I remember years ago when I didn't have to do that. All right, here we go. Davey, it's Mike. You're on the air. Can you hear me? All right. Something's going on. We didn't get through that time. Let's try one more time. We'll dial that number again. Not really sure what's happening, but down the number, we're not getting through. Let me see if I get Davey a, a message and let him know. Hang on, I'll play another song while we try to connect them. We'll get a, a quick little ditty on for you right here, and uh, we'll try to get him going here. Let me see what we got for you. You got to love technology, huh? Hang on one second here. All right, let's do a little uh, Pray Mantis, Panic in the Streets.
right. You know what? We're going to get back to Prey Mantis, Panic in the Streets. While we got Davey on the line, I don't know what's going on with the system here, but you know what? He was lucky enough to get through. I do appreciate that. Let's connect him and get this interview going. Davey, you're on the air live. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great, Mike. Good to talk to you. Uh, it's a pleasure. Listen, I've been a fan since that first EP came out back in 1983, and to see that you guys are still playing today and still doing it, that makes me happy. Well, it's it's amazing. Yeah, we got out of it for, for quite a while and decided to get back into it because we missed it and while we still could. We're, we ain't getting any younger, so... <laughs> yeah, I know that feeling. So what made you put it back together? Was it, you know, I mean, with the internet today, a lot of fans are reaching out to band members, talking about these groups that they haven't heard from a while. Was that something that maybe served this reunion or just maybe you guys talking about doing it again? Uh, Yeah, that kind of, we kind of felt that vibe going around, a lot of reunion things happening. And, you know, we kind of looked around and we were all still, still around. So we said, hey, why not? Well, let's go back and do it while we still can. You know, we missed it. So. Yeah. In fact, we well, we just did thing. a big St. Patrick's show last night that was fantastic. It brought back old memories. Yeah, I was looking at some of the videos. You guys look and sound great out there. Uh, besides you okay. and Glenn, who else is in the band? Anybody from the original lineup besides you and Glenn? Uh, yeah, me and Glenn, the other guitar player, and uh, the bass player, Jerry, still with us. Um, Mike, uh, Anthony, the drummer, and Frank, the singer, they... They couldn't do it because of family and work obligations. They didn't have time to, to really get back into it on the level we wanted to get back into it on. Um, but the guys we got now have filled in really great. They're, they're professionals, and you know, we're, we're doing great. That's good. So I said, like you were saying, on the level that you want to get back into it, so I'm guessing that you guys really want to take this as far as you can this time around. Well, we always we always strive to be the best that we can be, Mike. You know, we've, we've always thought, you know, put on a bigger, better show than anybody else, regardless of cost or, you know, expense or time, anything. We just always want to try to deliver the best that we can give. So even in this capacity, I mean, we have no dreams of becoming millionaires at this point, but, you know, we just want to be the best at what we do. That's just the way way we roll. Yeah, I completely get that. Well, you know, David, let's go kind of go back to the beginning. The band really came around in the very early '80s. Maybe even was it maybe the late '70s that it all started? Yeah, we formed in the late '70s. Uh, didn't really get any tracks until the early '80s, but uh, that's that's when it happened. Yeah, and and Florida, I know from back in the day, they had a great scene. I mean, there were a lot of killer bands coming out of the area from, you know, Nasty Savage, The Sabotage, The Siren. There was, there was a really, I mean, at least as a fan looking at all those bands back then, it seemed like there was a great scene taking place. Was it really like that back then for you guys? It really was. This area was just loaded with talent of that nature, and we were just lucky enough to be right in the middle of that scene. It was it was it was quite quite a place around here back in those days. Yeah, the music scene so was did, fantastic. So how did it, how did it all get started? Were you guys friends ahead of time, or maybe playing from, in different bands and kind of met the hook up to, to get August going? Uh, yeah, that's pretty much was it. We were in different bands in the area and kind of randing each other uh, through bulletin board material down at the music store. Guitar player wanted guitar player seeking band that type of thing, and we just kind of hooked up and. Glenn and I hit it off right off the bat over a couple of beers and his album collection. We 
Yeah. Well, you know, me as a going into the record store in 1983 and, you know, saving up my paper money, uh, being a paper boy delivery, saving up my money, going in there and see this album on the wall. There's this like skeleton guy with his hand in the air, lightning striking him, holding the guitars like, I got to buy this record because that's how you bought records back then, by the album cover. And I remember sure. going home and playing that EP and just being blown away by the music on there. Uh, how did it all come about? Because that came out on a small label called Rainbow Records. That's correct. Um, we were working with several agents all over the country at that time, and one of them uh, ran into this uh, record label that wanted to do our album, and we couldn't get any bites from the big company, so we wanted to do something. We wanted the experience, so we went into a small studio down in Miami and uh, spent a couple of weeks recording and um, pretty much came up with a good product, but, you know, we were rookies at it, so we made a lot of mistakes. If we could go back and do it again, I'm sure it would come out better, but we wrote some good songs and, and had a good time doing it. Learned a lot of things. Yeah, they, they were to me, they were great songs on that EP. Uh, was that the intention from the beginning? Was it do an EP to get started, or was it just because of the money issue, you know, being, a, being signed to a small label at the time that you could only get four songs on there? Yeah, it was a money thing. That, that's all they wanted to put out and see where that went at the time. Um, yeah, and it actually actually did pretty well. We we you know we sold records all over the world with it, and there were talks of an album deal. But by the time that came to fruition, things were starting to fray a little bit. So that never happened. Yeah, well that was around '83. I remember being like a, a demo tape trader and a bootleg trader, and I remember getting a tape of you guys playing. I want to say it was in Colombia, if I'm right. There was a, there was a, a cassette tape going around. It was a bootleg of a live performance you guys did. How did you guys get down there? Uh, that was as the result of album sales. We sold a lot of records down there for some reason, and uh, enough to warrant a, a headlining tour down there. We we went down and played a bull, in a bull ring, twenty thousand person capacity, and wow, had a bunch bunch of opening bands for us that mostly spoke Spanish, but they they sang and sang their heavy metal in English. So it was kind of it was it was kind of a crazy experience, but. Uh, we it was we were famous down there. We, we were like the Beatles. It was it was amazing. <laughs> it, it is. Did you find that you had a bigger fan? I mean, you know, with the internet today, you could kind of find out, you know, where your fans are coming from, where you have a lot of interest. But back then, you really didn't know. Everything was done through mail. But did you realize that you had a bigger following in South America than here in the U.S.? Uh, we did because we sold so many albums down there, but but we didn't. Nobody told us it was going to be like that before we got there. We, we thought, you know, we got there a week ahead of time, and there were people waiting for us at the airport on autographs. Wow. And stuff. We, we, we didn't know none of that was going to happen, so that kind of took us off guard. But it, it was, you know, it was, it was. They really loved us down there. To this day, they, they do. We got friends from down there that, on Facebook, that uh, some of the cover bands in the bars there still play some of our songs. It's crazy. That's got to be a great feeling. I mean, I remember on that tape there were songs like Satan's Rain, I think Save the Tears. Are, are these songs ever going to make it onto a record or be recorded, you think? Uh, we're working on it. Uh, we have some interest in uh, putting something like that together. Some of the songs that we wrote that would have been on the first album uh, are still viable. Uh, plus, we've written some new material since we've gotten back together that sounds pretty interesting to us. So uh, I think we would like to do some more recording while we can as well. So yeah. that might be in the work here coming up. Uh, 
What well, the newest songs that you guys have been putting together? Are you well, the newest songs that you've been putting together? Are they sort of in the same vein as the original stuff, or are they more modern version? You think of what the band should sound like today? Uh, we're we're trying to to move forward a little bit with the the sound overall sound quality and stuff like that. We realize that you know the '80s is kind of a dated uh, decade at this point. Although I, I love the music from those days, I still listen to it. But you know, if we come out with something exactly like that now, I think it would be a little dated. So we're trying to uh, mesh the two together a little bit, take some of our old experience and, and meld it with some of the new recording techniques and the way songs are written today. So hopefully we can come up with a kind of a hybrid, something a little different by doing it that way. Yeah. I mean, is there a conscious effort to try to make that happen? Or are you really just kind of write the way you feel? I mean, you know, you're talking 25, 30 years have gone by since those recordings. You know, a lot of musical influences have coming in and out of your life since that time. So you kind of want to reflect a lot of that in your music also. Absolutely. Uh, some, with some of us more than others, I, I find that some of us are, have come totally into the 21st century and some guys are, some of the guys are still, they got that old mentality, you know? So sometimes we do have to consciously say, okay, I like that lick, but it does sound a little dated. Let's try to update a little bit. So yeah, our, it definitely permeates our way of thinking at this point. Yeah. I mean, is it easier today to kind of make these things happen where maybe like 30 years ago, it would be like knock down, drag out fights, arguments over the direction the band would want to go? Is, like, is everybody like in a different frame of mind right now, being that, you know, we've gone through a lot over these last couple of decades musically, and it really should just be something you enjoy right now. That's right. The attitude is much lighter now. There's, there's no pressure on us, and uh, we're just doing it strictly for the fun of it. And, you know, we again, we would we always want to be the best at what we do. I'd like to come out with just a killer album, if for no other reason, just so I can smile and say I did it, you know. It's yeah. all about satisfaction at this point. Yeah. Well, I know what you said, because, like, you know, the money issues at the time you recorded the record, a lot of things maybe didn't turn out the way that you wanted to. If you had the opportunity to re-record the entire first record, would it change drastically sound-wise compared to what it was back then? Not even, like, bringing your influences today into it, but just because you wanted to maybe correct something that you weren't happy about back then? Um, for me personally, absolutely. Um, I would I would want to change almost everything about it, but that's just the way my mind works. Uh, some of the guys like it the way it stands. I mean, we're we're going kind of through that discussion now, you know, playing playing the songs out. You know, do we want to change them a little bit while as we're playing them out, or do or do we want to stick to the what the old fans are going to want to hear? And it, you know, as as I said, it's kind of turning into a hybrid. We're kind of changing them a little bit, but we don't want to get too far away from what people expect either. So. Yeah, yeah, it, it's kind of a, a fine line you walk when it comes to classics because, like you said, people want to hear the originals the way they were, and if they're a real fan of the band, they should always be willing to move on in any direction a band is going. And you know, no matter how the music changes, if you're a fan of that group, you're a fan of them for a reason. But I, I'm kind of on that fence too. I like hearing updated versions, but I also like to hear the originals the way they are because you know, after 30 years, they're embedded in your brain that way. That that's for sure. It's a point in time that you know we're fond of anyway, so. It's, we yeah. don't want to wipe it out, but but uh, you know we want to come up with something new and exciting too. So yeah, of course. Well, they, you go back to the EP, it comes out. You're a smash down in South America. What else happens to the band here in the U.S.? Uh, were there opportunities maybe to get out on the road and tour, or were you kind of stuck in Florida at that time? 
Uh, no, we were uh, touring all over the Southeast uh, at that point. By the time we went to South America, we were touring all the eight club circuits. Uh, we had several agents. There was one in Miami, one up in Cincinnati, one in Atlanta. I mean, we were pretty much right on the edge of uh, big time, uh, playing all the good clubs and making decent money. At that time, you could make really good money just touring those kind of clubs and playing them. But I think the DUI laws kind of knocked all that stuff down and put a, even though, you know, it's a lot of good for the country. It put a lot of dents in the, into our business. That's for sure. Yeah. A lot of bands say the same thing. When they raised the drinking age at 21, uh, a lot of, a lot of bands took a hit because, you know, it was most of the kids under 21 that went to the shows and wanted to see the bands. I'm not saying people over 21 didn't, but it, it did affect a lot of the bands and clubs. And it wasn't until years later where they finally just started having these shows where there was no alcohol served and, you know, letting the kids over 16 in again. Right. Yeah, the the money stopped flowing. The tap was turned off and they had no choice but to. And then, of course, that, that trickles down to, you know, talented musicians who were doing that for a living couldn't couldn't do it anymore. You know, you either had to make it or you had to quit and go do something else. So it really put a dent in our business, I think. But yeah. Well, when did it finally end for the band? When did it finally end? Was it not long after the EP? Or did you guys kind of drag out through the 80s? I really don't remember because, like I said, there was no real magazines writing about bands back then. You know, you had Cream and Hip Parade. They weren't writing about, you know, the local bands and scene. So when did it finally end for, for August? Uh, it, it probably... It was around 85, 86. Uh, so we went for a couple of years after the Columbia trip. Uh, we we had to switch a few personnel switches, town man, road crew, a new singer. Uh, as we started getting older, you know, we formed in late 70s. We were right out of high school. All of us, most of us were right out of high school. So we, we went on the road almost immediately and for five or six years. And that's the only thing we had ever done. So. You know, by the time 85, 86 got around, we were kind of growing up. And, you know, we had girlfriends in high school, and now we were getting serious girlfriends, and people were wanting to get married and have children. And we had been on the road for so long, you know, a night at home with the family watching movies just sounded pretty good to us, you know. Because back, yeah. back then it was five, six nights a week. You know, you, you weren't, it wasn't just the weekends. Back in those days, it was a, it was a full-time job, so... It, it got to be old after a while, believe it or not. We all kind of started yearning for that domestic life, I think, and that's when things started to – I mean, we didn't – we had to pry ourselves away from it. We we had tours booked and another album planned, and we just kind of decided that we needed a break, and the break turned into a little bit longer than we thought it was going to. <laughs> yeah, I can see that, but I'm <laughs> glad that you are back to it. That's a good thing. You know, like you said, you're coming out of high school into a band that has a lot of opportunities in front of them. You're 17, 18 years old at the time. I mean, it must have been a really big learning curve for you guys because at that point, you're probably only thinking about writing music, recording music, you know, playing live, meeting girls, having a drink. You're probably not even thinking about the business part of it very early on. And I guess as you get older, that starts to play more and more of a role in, like, you know, being in a band and watching involved and taking it to that next level. That's absolutely correct. There's there's just so much more to to have to being in a situation like that than being able to play your instrument. That's really the easy part. Once you start having to deal with agents and, and money and other people's livelihoods and people working for you and contracts and uh it's just yeah, we weren't 
we weren't really to deal with all ready to deal with all that. And we got involved with a couple of questionable questionable people, um, and we met some good people too. So, you know, it came out in the wash for us. Yeah. You know, when I think about it, the band being that active and starting that kind of early in the scene, like this here in the U.S., it was around 82 where the, you know, the heavy metal scene kind of took off and started going up from there. You guys are kind of going at it even before it became really big here. And by the time you guys broke up is when the scene really exploded in the mid-80s. Do you think if the band had started a little later, you guys were a little older, then maybe you would have carried on throughout that time? Uh, I think that's a good possibility on the one hand. Uh, on the other hand, we, uh, we were doing it, like I said, we were doing it two or three years before really anybody else was. We, yeah. we were out ahead of the game, so we, we kind of took off quickly when it hit. We were on top of the wave, and that helped us a lot in the early early days. So, yeah, by the time it really hit full-fledged, we were kind of burnt out on a bit, I guess you could say. Um, sure. It, it's hard to say. Maybe if we would have waited, it, it would have been better for us. But then again, we might not have gotten as far as we did. Who knows? Like, yeah, I know. Hindsight's a, <laughs> it's a great thing if you really can have it. But I'm glad that yeah. you are out there today. And, it's, you know, I look at your Facebook page all the time, and it seems like you guys have been pretty active, like, you know, with the shows. Like, you, you do get out there and play quite a bit. Is it is it pretty easy today? Is there a good scene in Florida to keep you going? Uh, it's actually not too bad. I was surprised. I thought for sure the scene was over and, you know, it's, it's certainly not like it was back in the eighties, but it's a thriving scene and there's plenty of places to play and people actually still come out and have a good time. It's, it's been pleasantly surprising. Uh, that's a good thing. I mean, are you guys looking into maybe some of the festivals overseas because they love getting the 80 bands that have gotten back together and putting them up on a stage in front of thousands of people? Is that something that you guys would be interested in uh, looking into doing? Uh, well, I, I personally don't see no reason why not. <laughs> you might have to ask everybody else's wives and, and significant <laughs> others, but uh, you can count me in. <laughs> Yeah, and I know a lot of labels that I deal with, a lot of these re-release labels, they already put out records, they always ask about you guys. Would you be interested yeah. in re-releasing that first album if they remastered it, or would you not be happy unless you went and actually kind of re-recorded it like you were saying earlier? Well, I mean, anything's, anything's open for debate. Um, right now, we're, we haven't been doing anything with it, so I guess it would depend on the details, of course, but... I think we'd be open to just about anything at this point. Yeah. You know, because it's imp almost impossible to get these albums anywhere today unless you find them on eBay or something, and they go for a, a small fortune. I mean, I wish you guys would get the money that these sellers are getting for them when they sell them <laughs> out of their collections, but it's, a, you know, it's almost impossible to find these today. And, you know, this I don't think this ever came out on CD. This was out years before CDs were even out. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. You're not kidding. I, a friend of mine wanted me to get a copy for him recently, and of course, I don't have any copies, but I said, oh, I can find one for you. I, did. I had a hard time trying to find one. When I did, it was like 40 bucks or something. It was, it was, it was just crazy. So, yeah, it'd be nice to, uh, to get some of that stuff digitized and whatever it is they do with it nowadays with it streaming and who knows what they could be done with it, but. Yeah, they do everything today. I mean, the next step, I think, is implanting a chip in your brain and just sending the music directly <laughs> there. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's where we're going But, you know, vinyl has made such a great comeback Over the last few years Everybody's buying vinyl again It's like the old days Yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? I love that yeah. show there's, there's something about when you 
that moment where you put the needle down on the record and you just kind of hear the scratches a little bit right before the song <laughs> starts. You know, I miss that so much. It's just, yeah. I know. I always thought the vinyl had a bigger, deeper, richer sound than the CDs, and, and the digital is like a whole other world altogether musically, but you're right. There's nothing like putting that, that needle down on the vinyl, hearing that crackling before the song comes on. Absolutely. Music to my uh, ears, so to speak. Yep. <laughs> All right. Hey, well, Dave, I'm not going to keep you much longer. I got another guest coming up in a few minutes. I want to get us some more music off that great record. You guys going to have anything coming up like immediately that you want to mention? Any shows that you have set up that you want people to know about? Uh, well, the, the next thing we got is about uh, two weeks down in Port Charlotte, a place called Charlie's. Um, we haven't played there before, but it's supposed to be a killer place. We're looking forward to going down there and spreading the metal down that direction. Oh, that's great. I was saying before you came on, I, I go down the floor to like the Orlando area like twice a year. So I said, I'm going to plan my next trip around one of your performances so I can get out there and actually see the band live after all these decades. So as oh, soon as something's going on, I'm, I'm coming down. Oh, you got to do that, Mike. That would be great. We'd, we'd have a blast. I absolutely will. And listen, if you guys are willing to make the trip up to New York, I'll do whatever I can to hook you up with some promoters to get you on a bill over here. Okay, man. Well, I got your number now, so I'll I'll definitely take you up on that. We'll be in touch. You got it, David. Listen, thank you very much for taking time out of your Sunday to talk to me. I do appreciate it, and we're going to get some more music on. All right. Hey, thank you, my brother. I appreciate it, Mike. Thank you. All take right. care, David. Good talking to you. All right. All right, let's jump back into the August. I'd rather I could play the whole EP in the show, but we'll do one more song now, and we'll get more on later on. Down the motorway.
Ah, there you go. Trouble the Fall of Lucifer. I want to thank David Ayler from August for being our guest tonight. We have Mike Sabatini from Attacker and Jersey Dogs in about 15 minutes. Pretty major going out there, and they're doing the entire Future World record in its entirety. And I'm sure they're throwing a few other songs here and there as encores. It's funny how these bands who tried so hard over their career to move away from like those early classic records that fans like us love Always go back to do those whole records in their entirety. I mean, if you listen to any of the pretty major records over the last 20 years, and you're a fan of the early days, like, you know, Shelly the Maid and City Lights and Red Hot and Heavy and even Future World. Future World was like the turning record for me. That was the last record I really enjoyed by the band. After that, it was hit and miss with a couple of tunes here and there. And then they kind of went Def Leppard and came up with this really commercialized sound. And I really haven't been a big fan of theirs uh, since that time. Uh, but I always go back to those early records. But they're out there doing all the Future World right now uh, in its entirety. I don't see them going out there and doing like one of the last couple of records in full. I don't see them out there going doing Carpe Diem or Pandemonium or Motherland. It goes back to the classics. So... If they come to the U.S. and do that, I would definitely go and see it. Love that record. All right, let's get to the music right now. You know what? Let's play some Pretty Maids. We're not going to do anything off the future world. We'll do Night Danger. Here you go.
Mike, you there? I'm here. All right, buddy. What's going on? I'm just hanging out, you know, watching the. You, you, you interrupted my Sunday marathon of watching Ball Rescue, but hey, that's okay. Uh, I apologize. You know, <laughs> Sundays are dead to me since 90 Day Fiance went off the air for the season, so I like got all Mike to do what I want. <laughs> so how you doing, man? How's everything? I'm doing good. We haven't spoken in a while, and I the last time I saw you was at St. Vitus about a year and a half ago, right before the new record came out, Sins of the World, and you were like, you know what? We spent this whole year working on this record, taking care of business and studio stuff. 2017, we're hitting the road, and you guys sure as hell did that last year. Yeah, we. I'll tell, tell you what. Historically, we never played a ton of shows. You know, we would do, like, things here and there. But last year, we pretty much did at least a show a month. Uh, a couple of the months, we did two shows. And, and again, with, you know, with everybody's regular life that gets in the way, jobs, you know, responsibilities, that's actually a lot for us. So we had, we had a really great year, I got to say. Yeah, people don't realize that because everybody still has to go to work for a living. So to get that many shows in, and you did a lot of shows out of the country. You, wanna, you did a lot of festivals last year, too. Yeah, we did, uh, well, we did three out of the, uh, out of the country. We did, um, we did the uh, Pounding Metal Fest in Madrid, Spain. We did the uh, Up the Hammers Festival in Athens, Greece, and then Headbangers Open Air over in uh, Germany outside of Hamburg. And we also had done here in the States, we did uh, the Rage of Armageddon Festival that our buddy Ed Farsty puts on in Brooklyn. And we also went out to, uh, to Milwaukee for, uh, for Randy Kasner's uh, festival. Yeah, which how's is, that uh, one in Milwaukee? Really cool, uh, the Spring Bash. I hear that's a pretty good festival. Is, is, it, is it pretty happening? Yeah, no, he had, he had a great crowd. He always has good bands on, so it's, it was it was a good time. We really had a good time. Definitely, uh, definitely that's worth good. it to go out there. Yep, absolutely. Well, you're, you're talking about Rage of Armageddon. I mean, next month is uh, the new one. You guys are playing there also. Yeah, that 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 was kind of funny because we we originally weren't on it. And um, and I had called Ed, and we were talking about it because because this year being the 30th anniversary of the uh, Second Coming album, you know yeah. we we were you know we, we we're going to be doing that in uh, in September. We're going to a festival in France called the Pyrenean Warriors of Metal, and they they had asked us about doing the whole Second Coming album, and and we already had planned on probably doing that anyway. So for Ed's fest, we're basically just going to play the Second Coming album. That's it. We're doing. That's our set. That's the, from the, those eight songs that we're going to get up, do those, and that's it. And the reason why we're probably doing just that is because we did get added last, you know, like late in the game, and I didn't want to take up a lot of time. I said, hey, if you could squeeze this in, we'd love to be part of it again, and we'll do the whole Second Coming album. And, you know, make, make it a little bit different than just a typical attacker show where we do a little bit of everything. I was thrilled when I heard that you guys are doing the whole second coming to begin with, you know, to celebrate the 30th year of the album. I, I know yeah. you were doing it at that festival. Thank God you said the name of it because I know I couldn't pronounce the name of that festival. Uh, but I was like, <laughs> when, I, when I heard you were doing it, Rage of Armageddon, I was like, holy shit. I said, nah, I definitely have to go. Because that's such a yep. great record. To me, that got kind of lost in the shuffle of, of your albums throughout your career. I think that record got lost in the mix. Well, I'll tell, I'll tell you why. I mean, because what happened was, that the label that we were on, Mercenary, out of New York, the guy that owned the company, uh, the, the main company was called Celluloid Records, and they had different branch-off labels, which one was Mercenary. He had some kind of legal trouble, and I think it had something to do with, you remember in the 80s there was that dance called the Lombada? Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, well, I thing, well, apparently, some, I had heard, this is what I heard. I don't know if it's true, but I had heard that this guy did something and stole, he, he kind of like bootlegged it or did something, and he actually had to flee the country because the government was <laughs> after him. I guess he was getting sued or something. That's what I heard. So, the, so basically, that label, you know, never re- you know, we really never got to do much with it, you know, and th- that's, that's why it, ne- it never had a European release. Officially, it was only released, you know, on Mercenary here in the States. So anybody who got it overseas, you know, probably got it as an import. So really, yeah, it, re- it really never had, you know, uh, you know, what it probably should have had. But again, that also goes back to the fact that, you know, pe- people ask me a question a lot about, you know, what's, what's the biggest regret you guys have? And I, and I always said that back in, you know, after Battle at Helm's Deep, Metal Blade wanted us to do another record like really quick afterwards. And we didn't have any material. And I remember, like, you know, everybody in the band just feeling like, oh, they didn't do enough for us. You know, it was basically being stupid kids. And yeah. our, biggest, our biggest regret is not staying with Metal Blade and, you know, going to, Mer- going to Mercenary because we probably would have been better off if we had a little bit of business sense and stayed with them and did like some of the other bands did, like a Face Warning you know, Liege Lord wound up getting on him, doing you know some records there, and at least having more of a steady home. That was probably one of one of the problems too. You know, plus the fact that you know by the time Second Coming came out in '88, the whole thrash movement was really the the dominant thing, and le- you know more of the power metal or old school stuff, unless you were Iron Maiden and Judas Priest, you know, really wasn't wasn't hitting as good you know w- with the younger fans, you know. It's true. I mean, the second come was like around 88, if I remember, uh, going back at that time. And a few years after Battle of Hell's Deep. But the band was also sort of in a transition state between those albums, too. You know, John was oh, on absolutely. vocals at that time. Tom was in, Tom was in the band. I mean, he, both of them passed away. It's a shame to say. But, you know, they're not yeah, here with us no yeah. more these days. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah it's, it's interesting because we've actually, we've actually lost four people that played with us. You had you obviously you had John Leone who had passed away first. I believe he had passed away in '94. Um, in in '90, it was 2000. Was it 2099? Jim Mooney had passed away uh, from yeah. you know from Battle at Helm's Deep. Tom D'Amico, unbeknownst to us until you know several years ago, he had passed away in 2001, like towards the end of the year there. And then our very very first bass player who was actually on the Metal Massacre 5 album on that version of Call on the Attacker, uh, a guy named John Joseph, we found out he had passed away. So what's what's interesting is we've lost two guitar players, a singer, and a bass player. And I'm going to knock on wood right now on my computer desk because I've been (laughs) the only drummer and I'm still here. So, you know... You know, God, God, God bless those guys. You know what? We we had some great times with them, you know, and uh, I hope they're all up there. They're probably rocking out with a different drummer right now, obviously, because I'm here. But, you know, they're up there doing something, that's for sure. Yeah, I, I think if I was a guitar player looking to join Attack, I'd go for, get a checkup first, make sure I'm healthy. See, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you know what's funny, Mike, is I look at the band over the last couple of years, and I, to me, I feel like the band is stronger now and in a better position and place than you ever were, I think, throughout your career. Well, you know what? I can't disagree with you there because I feel, truthfully, this current lineup is probably the strongest. It's probably all, it's the most consistent lineup musically. You know what I mean? Like everybody yeah. is, is, is on top of their game, doing what they have to do. And I, I truly do. I think you're right about that. I think this... 
right now where we are is the we're the best we've ever been, hands down. I know people love to talk about original lineups and and all that stuff, but you know what you know we've we've always it's interesting. I was I was looking back at our records and we've pretty much had changes on every record. We've never yeah. had you know we never had the same five people on one record. You know from Battle to Second Coming to Soul Taker, Soul Taker to the Unknown, the Unknown to you know Canaan, Canaan to Sins. Now we've had different people. You know, uh, you know, as as you know, original guys slowly either left, you know, or came back, or le- you know, whatever, you know, left again. That's that's the truth, though. But I think right now we're definitely the best we've ever been. I, you know, I, I could tell by the performances, by you know, uh, you know, just the, the amount of rehearsal we don't need as much as we, you know, we did in the past, maybe. So it's it's all good. It's all good all around. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, Pat was one of the last original guys with you. He parted a couple of years right before the Sins record came out. But Mike, people yeah, forget, yeah. Mike has been with the band. I mean, Mike's been playing with you for a long time. I mean, going back to the Jersey Dog days, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, but he's got 17, yes. years in Attacker as it is now. You know, that's, just a, that's just a long time. Just about, cause, yeah, because we, we originally started playing again. It was it was actually after Jim Mooney passed away that, you know, that our old bass player, Lou, he actually suggested that we do an album and dedicate it to him, Johnny Lee, you know, the guys that, that, that had passed. Uh, obviously, you know, uh, I think D'Amico, D'Amico hadn't passed at, the, uh, at that time yet, or the, or the other guy, John Joseph. But, you know, it's, uh, you know, it, it's, it's definitely, uh, Mike's been with us since we started again. Probably, it was probably around somewhere in 2000 that we started doing it. So he's literally been an attacker, you know, for 18 years now. So yeah, that's a long time. You know, he's, he's been on his, you know, he's been on what, uh, we've done six albums. He's on four of them now. So besides yeah, absolutely. myself, he, he, you know, besides Pat and myself, he, he had pretty much, you know, uh, done the most, obviously, you know, Bob Mitchell had done three albums with us. So, but yeah, he's, he's a big part of it. And speaking of Jersey dogs, obviously we, uh, we have a reissue that's coming out of the, uh, the thrash ranch album, the full album. And it's also going to have the Don't Worry, Get Angry EP on it as bonus tracks as well. Because I, I had been nice. contacted by, uh, by Jeremy Golden from Heaven and Hell Records. And, um, you know, we wound up talking about it. And I was like, yeah, you know what? I just got to find the things I need to use and materials and stuff. And I wound up digging out a bunch of old pictures. And, you know, we did like some uh, – he sent me like kind of almost like an interview type of thing to get some different information you know, to put it together for like a little story. And it's funny because I think, I think just getting older, there's a lot of shit that you forget. He's asking me questions about dates and things. I say, I don't remember things that happened three weeks ago. There's no way. There's no way I'm remembering things that happened in the late, late, late eighties into the early nineties, but we wound up, you know, putting together a good package and it's actually delayed a little bit to release because originally we were going to use the cover, the original cover that it came out with, which had the girl on the cover. And, and yep. you know, just for the just for the record, none of us ever liked that cover. That was more of a record company thing because at the time, we uh, you know, we really didn't have a lot of a lot of you know bites you know label wise at the time, you know, because because again, when that album came out, it was kind of towards it was kind of when the whole grunge movement was coming in, and the whole metal thing was kind of starting to wane a bit. So the label kind of pushed it on us. And then when we were we were going to put it put it out with that cover because Jeremy had, had asked about you know hey I'd like to use the original cover because a lot of fans even though even though it's kind of weird they like to see it originally as it was that and then and uh, I had a conversation with Lou Charlo you know obviously our attacker bass player and Jersey Dogs bass player and singer and 
he flipped out on the fact that we were going to use that cover again. He, he basically said, you cannot use that cover. He said, I, he goes, I am putting my foot down. And he goes, I sh- we should have did this 28 years ago. And he goes, we didn't do it. He goes, anything, you can do anything you want with it, but not with that cover. So with that being said, after that album came out, we, you know, uh, and, the, and obviously Grudge had some fun. We've had, we've had bad luck with labels and financial problems because Grudge had gone out of business as well. So we had had another cover painted that was actually more along the lines to fit the Thrash Ranch kind of mode, but nothing ever came of it. So now I actually have the actual piece of artwork, which is like uh, an 18 by 24, you know, hand-painted piece of art. I had to dig that out. That's going to wind up being the cover now, uh, you know, and, and I have, we actually have to still get that cover scanned into a digital file to be used. So that's why that's been delayed. But, yeah, that's, uh, that's okay. going to be coming out soon. That'll be coming out soon. It'll, it'll be kind of cool because, again, it's another piece of art history. You know, mine, Lou's, you know, buddy Johnny Ilaw, you know, Mike, uh, you know, Benetatis is going to tackle with us. So it's, it's kind of cool to have them re-released anyway, especially since Don't Really Get Angry was never, ever released on a CD. That was only on sure. vinyl and cassette back then, you know? Yeah, uh, you know, Jeremy does great work on his packages. I've been working with him for years, promoting his artist. So I know it's going to be cool. I would love, I can't wait to see the original album cover that you guys had planned at the time, even though I'm a little disappointed because I spent a lot of nights in my room with that album cover. And, you know, I'm going to hate you, to see it disappear, but, you know. <laughs> you know you know what's funny? is Somebody somebody actually mentioned that to me as, as a joke going, you know, a lot of 16-year-old kids enjoyed that cover. <laughs> but, but, you know, but I, I guess, like I said, you know what, there's, that, you know, I, I could understand Lou's feeling about it. Like me personally, I didn't care because I'm like, you know what? It's so long ago. I understand people want to see the original thing, but you know, he was adamant that you know it couldn't be used. And so I said, all right, you know what? As long I, I'll find this other cover. I talked to Jeremy. Jeremy was fine with it. You know, he said he said I didn't even have really any problem using a different cover. I just figured that again, judging by what most fans want, they want an original thing, but. You know, because there was an issue within, you know, within the band itself regarding it, you know, we'll, we'll use the other cover. The music's going to be the same. So, hey, what the hell? That's all that matters. And it's going to get a nice remake. You know what it is? Like, you know, I remember the record because I've been a fan of you guys from the beginning. So I kind of went along with the journey of everything you guys did until Attacker got back right. together. But there's a whole sure. new generation of young kids out there that don't even know about this album, don't even know about the band. And now they're going to hear it and see oh, it yeah. for the first time. So that's, that's a great thing for, like, you know, the younger kids. No, absolutely, you're right, because again, you know, it was, I mean, that, that record was distributed through BMG, so it had big distribution, but with, with the label having issues, you know, sometime after it came out, and, you know, we kind of, after that, we kind of, everybody kind of let it go, and we all started getting married, and kind of like, you know, moving on a little bit, and, you know, that, that's what I think, I think the mid-90s, or from, the, from like, probably, probably like 93 into like the mid, towards the late 90s, is when a bunch of us kind of kind of took a break and we really weren't doing anything musically, you know what I mean? And, uh, and then it was kind of the mid nineties when I, I picked up playing again and started doing some cover stuff just for fun. And, uh, you know, it, it, that was, that was like the, that was like the worst point for metal, you know, throughout the mid mid nineties and stuff. And yeah. then towards the end of the nineties, that's when you had that resurgence. When I think you had, you started to have bands like blind guardian and hammerfall, bringing back more of the traditional style, you know, uh, and, and I think that kind of, and that's what all the older bands, all the classic bands, I think started coming back and, you know, bringing that resurgence up. 
Absolutely. I mean, even when Attack It got back together, I mean, you know, Bob was back on vocals in the beginning when when you guys reunited. Yep. I mean, was, yep. was I, I know there were bumps along the road because you know a lot of these people I kind of know too, so I know things only get a little bumpy out there. But oh, did you ever just say I, I, I'm going to throw in a towel again, or did you just like you know keep going on with it till you knew you were going to hit your stride again? Well, you know, it, it, well, it's funny because the thing is, Attacker, be, you know, being the main band we always had, you know, obviously back in the day. It's so it's so ingrained in you know probably in my in my DNA that regardless of what happens with people you know within the band I always felt like I mean again let me give you a good example the whole thing with the Judas Priest thing now the fact that Glenn Tipton's not there I see people yeah. commenting oh they should they should hang it up this is not Judas Priest it's a cover band you know I what I say to that is. I tell you what, go see a cover band and then go to an arena and see those guys who are playing right now. There ain't no cover band. There's no cover band out there that's going to be that good. I'm sorry. And, and again, for, for us, it's kind of the same thing. We've had a lot of member changes. There's people who say, I've, I mean, I've seen people comment things about that, you know, after Battle at Helm's Deep, every album we've put out pales in comparison. And I get it. It's because that's the first thing they heard from us back in the day. Sure. And that's got the, that's got the most nostalgia. And, 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 you know, interestingly enough, if you look at our music, our music did, it did evolve over the course of time because we've had different writers. You know, you know Jim Mooney was the main, main writer on the first album. Lou Charlo wrote pretty much the whole second album, except for, you know, a part here or there. And the vocals, you know, all the melodies. Then, you know, then... You get onto the other albums and you start getting, you know, Mike Benatatis came in to write, you know, and even on Soul Taker, I wrote one or two things, you know, that I, I can play guitar a little. So we're not 100% the same, but I always think that the music a band produces is more important than the members to me because it's still about the music. It's not about one guy. You know, it's not about one guy or two guys. It's about what the band itself did as a body, a body of work. That's my opinion. So, you know, people may dispute that, but if that's the case, then every band that doesn't have a full original lineup from their first album ought to quit. Iron Maiden should quit, you know, because you don't have Dennis Stratton and you don't have Paul Diano, you know. So really, that, that's like that's my argument towards the thing, because I've seen people post about us too, about Attacker. Oh, you guys are just a cover band. Uh, whatever. You know what? We're a pretty good fucking cover band, pardon my French. <laughs> you know? <laughs> You know, I mean, it's, I, you know, to, to say it this way sounds crazy, but I mean, because, you know, you're in the band. I think uh, the line of changes that have taken place in Attacker from the beginning till now have actually made the band who they are today, in my opinion. I know as, you know, you're like the, the sole remaining member. You've gone through all the ups and downs, all the changes, getting people on board, finding the right place. I know it's going to be hard, like on you on sure. the inside, but as a fan, to me, Battle at Helm's Deep and Sins of the World are Attacker. I see no different. I see different times, different eras of the band. That's a 30-year span, but it's still attacking to me. And there's something that always defines your music as attacking, whether it's a, a new lead singer, a different guitar player. I can differentiate <laughs> it and still say it's the same band. That's, 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 that's a good thing, and I appreciate you saying that because that's, that's the biggest thing. Like when, we, when, we, when we would go from album to album and write music, it's, it's almost like, you know, I always worried about that. And even the guys writing the music would even, you know, you know, would, would ask me, hey, you think, you think this fits good? Is it too much something different or whatever? And, and I, guess, I guess the reality is we've changed a lot along the way, but you're right. When we, when we play these songs even live as a live band, 
if we're doing Slayer's Blade or something a little more complex off of Sins, it doesn't matter. It's still, it's still Attacker. It still works within yep. the confines of what we are, and we haven't strayed so far. Because it's interesting. I, I see people when they, you know, they review the albums and they review Sins, they still talk about it being like, you know, a great, cl- you know, it's a great classic, you know, a great album in the Attacker tradition. And when I, but, but realistically, Sins of the World and Battle at Helm's Deep are like totally different the way the music is written. It's different styles, but I guess there's a, there is a common thread, I guess, that brings it together, whether it's the kind of vocalists, you know, wh- whether it's the fact of, uh, you know, maybe my style of drumming has been the one consistent thing throughout the whole thing. I don't know. But as long as you say that, I appreciate that. And, you know, we're doing our job then. We're staying true to who we are and what the, pe- and the people we, who do like us, uh, you know, uh, are going to continue to like us, you know, for the reasons you said. We, we didn't come out and become something different, you know, and try to jump on a trend or, or whatever, you know. Exactly. You stood true to what you did in the beginning. It just evolved over time. And the one thing I have to say about Bobby is that Bobby kind of encompasses all the different eras of attack of vocally and makes it his own, but yet makes it attacker. When I hear him doing stuff off a battle or the second coming or anything else, it, you know, it sounds like it belongs, like it was meant to be. And that's hard thing for like any singer to get up on stage and do another singer's songs and make it sound like he owns it. But Bobby's yeah. done that. I got to give you credit for that. No, he does. He's he's basically got he's got the range to handle Johnny John Leone because John Leone's you know he he had he had a higher range and so he he definitely can handle that stuff. And, and, you know, and Mitchell's stuff from, you know, that he had done. And like you said, it's, you know, he, he, he kind of, he kind of falls in the middle and he does, he makes, he, he does it well, he does it well and he makes it his own. But like you said, it's nothing has changed to the point where you go, Oh, I'd rather hear the original version. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's all good, man. I, I think, I think we, it's a, it's a happy medium for what we need for the band. Absolutely. Well, I know, like, it's going to be the second coming this year. That's going to be your priorities, like, you know, getting out there and doing those shows with that. When you get back to the regular set list, do you plan on mixing a little bit more in from Soul Taker and the Unknown, or do you really want to focus more um, on the Giants and Sins record? You know, you know what's interesting is we, we look at it from the point of, of truthfully, in, in the history of with, with all our albums, Soul Taker and the Unknown are probably the least popular ones, truthfully. Like, I talk to people, and, you know, you, people love – they actually love the first two albums, and they actually love Sins and Canaan. So those two, those two middle records are the ones we do less from. Like, I think – like, right now, we, we've actually been doing from, – from Soul Taker, we've been doing The End, which is something we hadn't, we hadn't done with this current – with Bobby in the band. We hadn't done that since Bob Mitchell was still in the band. And, and as, far, as far as The Unknown – uh, last year we were, do, we were actually doing the song The Unknown And for the most part We usually do This Is Power Off of The Unknown Again, you know Because you know what it is When you have six albums And you don't have a lot of time to play Depending on what, the, yeah. what you're given for a set You really got you really got to juggle And one thing I've always Kind of put forward That I said I don't want to do Is I don't want to neglect any albums I try not to if we can I always want to do at least one off of those middle albums so you touch on it because my outlook was is that there may be a guy in the audience who first heard of Attacker when he heard Soul Taker or The Unknown. So we at least got to give them something from that. You know what I mean? So everybody has a little bit of something they might have known. And that's, that's kind of like my, my perspective on it. Like I'll, I will never come out and do a shitload of new songs and push all the old stuff away. 
we're about the history of the band and what this band, what got us to this point. And, and that's why we'll always incorporate everything and make it, you know, give everybody something for what they like. Yeah. Well, you know, those two records, Mike, also came out at a time when metal was like down and out. I mean, it was like, what, 2004, 2006? I mean, the scene yeah, exactly. really didn't come about again yet. People really, you know, it was just starting to take off again, but it was mostly the European bands. So those albums kind of got caught in a mix at a time when nobody cared about American metal anymore, metal in general still. It wasn't happening. You guys were persevering yeah, through a time that was really tough. Yeah, it was in, it was in that transition stage. And, and you know, and, and again, too, even like, like with the Soul Taker album. Now, we, you know, we hadn't done an album for Attacker since, since, you know, we recorded the second coming in 87 so you go from 87 up to the beginning of the 2000s which is when we started working on it and that that album too that was an album of us trying to find our legs again and 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 say hey wait a minute can we actually write something that fits in with what we did in the 80s you know and and, and continue the tradition so it does it, it's it, that and the unknown those albums were us kind of you know getting back on on the horse again you know what I mean? And uh, that, I mean, that could be one of the reasons, too, where, you know, again, I, I like the albums. I, you know, I, obviously, I, I like pretty much everything we did. I've got favorite songs here and there. But, but I, think, I think it wasn't until we, st- you know, started doing Canaan that we kind of really hit the stride. Where I think, we, we, you know, we, we hit like another plateau, in yeah. my opinion, you know, as far as, as far as the songs. And obviously, you know, you know, Bobby again. Bobby coming in. One thing about Bobby... He's a really good lyricist, and he's really, really good with melodies. He, he, he gets stuff that sticks in your head. I've seen quite a few reviews and people saying that, even with the, uh, the Sins album especially, that those songs, the melodies in the songs, stay with you even after you've, you know, taken the, you know, shut the CD off. You know, you shut the, uh, whatever, or you got out of your car. So that, that's an important thing. You know, I mean, the whole sing-along factor and, and something sticking in your head, that's what makes you, you know, that's what makes you, you know, that, that's what, you know, keeps you around and keeps you in, in, you know, people's minds, so. Oh, I, I couldn't agree more. That's my biggest beef with most of the bands is that they want to write songs where they don't repeat the choruses. Every part is different. You can't remember it. There's no memorable riffs, no memorable lyrics. I don't care how yep. fast and hard you are, how heavy you are, how soft you are. If I can't remember the words and I can't sing along to the song and the, and the riff doesn't stay in my head, I'm moving on to the next thing. I, you know, say what you want about Motley Crue, but you know, I think I write a song that has a chorus of verse that I can remember. I'm going to get into no, the you- song. You're, you're 100% right, man. I mean, that's, that's why, you know, you can't, you really can't even, you can't argue against success, number one. You know, people, I remember back in the 80s, people used to make fun of Motley Crue because, oh, McMars, he's terrible, this and that or whatever. But you know what? It, it doesn't matter how good of a player you are. It's about what you write. You know what I mean? If you're going to write songs that are just complex, like you're saying, with part after part after part that don't repeat, uh, you know, and nobody's going to really dig it, you know, but, and it's all like a self-indulgent thing. Motley Crue, a band like Motley Crue is going to win out every day because they're, they're about complete entertainment. The, the appearance, the show they put on, and the music, it's all about fun. And, you know, and, and that's, you know, that's really what it, what it should be about. It, it should be fun. It should definitely not be, you know, something that you have to stand there and put your hand on your chin and go, huh. You know, it's not, you know metal shouldn't be a thinking man's music. It, sh- it should just be, it's a great energetic music. Leave it at that. That's the God's honest truth. Uh, I agree with you 100%. Well, my, I mean, the album's been out for over a year now. I know there's not going to be a new attack around this year, but are, are you starting to put together songs for something new? Well, actually, yeah. We actually were working, 
we're, we're planning on ha- actually putting an EP out. And the EP, the EP is going to be four new songs. And also, we have uh, when we went to Greece last year, they had recorded the show. So we, uh, we're going to have two live songs on, on the thing from, from that show on there as well. And uh, as a matter of fact, we haven't even announced anything, but uh, what is it? This is, uh, what's today, the 18th? Yep. Yeah, today's the 18th. So the week, thank you. Till mid, till 12.01, that's right. <laughs> that's uh, right. <laughs> to, uh, in, a, in a few weeks, which will actually be, I think, the weekend of April 6th, 7th, and 8th, we're actually going back to Pyramid Studios and doing these four songs with Alex Terry Alice, who we did the second coming with. And I'm sure you wow. know Alex's history from being the guy who did Anthrax, Overkill, Testament, all of Violence, all those bands. So we're going to yep. be doing those four songs for the EP up there with him. So we're, we're excited about that. And, you know, because we, we, we had talked about it and we thought about it. And we're like, wow, with the, with the second coming being a 30th anniversary, and, you know, I, I had corresponded a little bit with Alex about, you know, about that, just talking, you know, Facebook stuff, whatever. And, and we, uh, we talked about it with the band. And I said, hey, let's, let's see about going up there. And, and doing it because, again, in, in, in the fine tradition of the second coming, we'll go back to Pyramid 30 years later and do, do these songs. So we're going to be doing that and, you know, hopefully get the EP out sometime, you know, before the end of the year. And so you, you'll definitely have some new music a lot quicker than what it's been in the past years. You know, obviously it was, we went, what, 2004, then 2006. Then we, we technically put out in 2007 that there was that compilation album that we put out yeah. that's standing the test of time, test of time. which you know, yeah. which really was kind of like something that just kind of fell in our laps. And we said, oh, what the hell? Because, I mean, I really didn't – I really never felt like, you know, we should be doing a best of because, you know, we're not Iron Maiden or Judas Priest. But I was like, hey, you know what? It's another album. It's probably a good, a good little, uh, you know, tester for people that never heard the band and get to hear something of the first four albums, you know. So we, we did that in 2007. And then it wasn't until 2013, you know, once we, we, we had regrouped in 2012. That's when Bobby came on board and everything. And it, so you figure we had, what, six years between that album and then, uh, and then uh, what, 2006, 2013, 2000. It was, it, was like kind of, it was kind of like the end of 2016 that, that Sins actually came out, but it crossed over right on the cusp of 2017. So that was what? That was another three years or whatever, you know, three, three and a half years. So we'll give you something. We'll give you something quicker for a change. That's not well. You know what? Three years today, and in, in the in the way the music world is today, that's pretty good. And that's average for a lot of active bands putting out a record every three years. You know, so it's not really too bad. Yeah, but Mike, when you're our age, you know, you got to make every minute count. So <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> you, you you never know who's coming, going, you know, whatever. So. <laughs> You gotta, you know, you you really you really gotta get on it. I think Bob Bobby well, made a comment like that. Bobby made a comment about that with, with you know doing something now. He goes, you know, I don't want to wait another four years. Or I might be dead. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> well, listen. Well, like with, I, the death toll of, with the death toll count and attacker, there's a good shot that could happen. God forbid. I'm yeah, not you got, exactly. Is, but, we really, we really have to count our blessings and say that you know the ones who are here and are still here, we're quite lucky. So <laughs> don't step on any cracks. Don't walk under any ladders. No. Exactly. You know, know, Mike, so many bands today, like I was talking with Skid Row a while ago with some other bands, and they were like, you know what, we're going to put out an EP of four songs like maybe every year (laughs) or year and a half because that's like what people can handle today. They don't have the ability or the time to go through a full length record. It keeps us relevant. You know, we put it out, we tour. Is that something that you would think about doing is maybe like an EP every year? You still like want to do that full 
not a full format record, which I mean, which is how I grew up and what I love and what I want. But I'm not rating, recording, and, and paying for it. Well, see that that's the the thing is too is that because you know because we don't do this for a living and we just don't come off a tour and start writing, it, you know we rehearse once a week. You know it takes us longer to get the material ready to where we feel it's good. You know, good enough to record. You know, we, we're not like, we don't lock ourselves in a room for like weeks at a time every day working on stuff. We, you know, we go there once a week, work on this song, go to, go to the next song. So really, the reason why we decided to do the EP is it would take us, you know, twice as long to get more songs written and ready. And, and you know, and, and I said, you know what, we're considering the catalog we have and that we still have to touch on everything. I don't know. I don't necessarily know if we have to do a full album every time. At some point, yeah, we may again. You know, the next thing might be a full album. But you're right about the recording part because labels today don't give you budgets. You know, yeah. it's, it's all. You know, the, the record industry. Everybody knows. You know, the major bands. You know, you know, unless you're one of the uh, you know the stadium type bands, they don't even sell a million records anymore. You know, they they may sell if they're lucky half or a tenth of that. Because people don't buy stuff, so really, it's it's. I think from a band point of view, it's smarter to put out an EP. I've even heard bands say that they're just going to put out singles. You know, like big bigger yeah. acts that, that that say, you know what, it's not worth it for us to spend the money. You know, with producers and all that, doing a whole album, and you know, and then people are going to download it for free anyway. So what's what's the point? You know. That's true. But, you know, if, yeah. if, if, you, if you go back to the beginning, you know, like to, to the, say, the 50s, and when music, you know, rock and roll really started taking off, it was a singles market. There was no full-length records out back then. Everything was a singles market. The band put out a single with a B-side, and that was it. You never got a full-length record from those rock and roll artists back in the day. It wasn't until the 70s where, you know, albums really came into play, or maybe the 60s, late 60s. Yeah, probably 60s. Yeah, you're right. You know, you're right about that. I, I never thought about that. You're right. That, the big thing was basically just having a single on radio, you know, and all the kids run out and buy the single and, you know, do the Watusi or whatever. But, but yeah, yeah it's, it's, uh, it's, it is, you're right about that. And, and it's kind of, you know, and the way the industry is going now, it probably, you know, it makes more sense, you know, for bands to do it. I mean, I, I will, I will say granted, you know, your comment about what you, you know, how you, you know, you grew up on full albums. That's really what the metal crowd does kind of want. You know, they, they're, they're, the, they're one of the few groups of people that will go out and buy the actual product because they want to look at the physical product. They want to see the artwork. They want to read the booklet or, you know, or the fact that vinyl has made a good comeback and people, people, you know, still want, you know, still want vinyl. I know people that won't buy any of our stuff unless it's on vinyl. And, and until recently, the only album that wasn't on vinyl was soul taker, but that's actually out now on a, on a Greek label called eat metal, uh, eat metal records. They actually just released, the Second Coming and Battle at Helm's Deep. He re-released them again with the original covers and Soul Taker. So, so really, you know, it's it's some. I mean, some things are coming back full circle, but it, but in a sense, you know, until until the market kind of people start buying shit more, it's probably going to stay where bands are going to do less and less, you know, over the course of time because it's you know money wise, you know, you're laying out the money to do it, you're not getting it back in a you know in a proper return. And, you know, we do it because we love it. That's it. That's all it's about. Nothing else. 
I know. You know, I mean, I like I I bought the Sins of the World CD as soon as it came out. I had it ordered, and then last year I bought the the vinyl and and the T-shirt package for Metal and Metal Records. Cost me one hundred seventy-five dollars right. to have it shipped here, but you know, I'm in a position where I can afford to do that these days. You know, I, yeah, I was thinking about this, like I was I was on eBay buying like used records that I used to have that kind of got warped or messed up. And I was like, man, I remember when I was seventeen years old, I would have killed to have had the money to do all the stuff I wanted. I could do now. I had the energy and the ambition back then. I just don't have the energy and the ambition now, but I got the money to do it. So I kind of live vicariously <laughs> for buying all the old shit, collecting stuff again. You know, that's and that, right. That's that's the truth, man. You know, I mean, uh, it's it, it go, like I said, it's it's all it's all cyclical. But but you know, the, the bottom the bottom line is, you know, you know what? It's like even even like with shows. Like I I keep making I, I make a joke to people, and I said I really wish they would change over and. and have day clubs, not nightclubs anymore. This way we can, this way, I said, listen, you open at noon, you close at six, you're home for dinner, and you get to see a show, have a couple of drinks during the day, and go home and relax. I said, I said, because this whole thing about going to a club, wait until midnight to go on, I, I was just like, you know what? This is not working for me. I, I, need, I need the arena level where, you, where the show starts at eight and it's over by 11. You know, come on, yeah. give us help us old guys out here. You know, <laughs> I I wish Mike, I I agree. You know, a lot of those, a lot of the clubs in Brooklyn like that, like the St. Vitus now and and the Paybox, a lot of them in residential neighborhoods, so they kind of like wrap up by eleven thirty, twelve o'clock, which isn't so bad. If you remember the days of Lamore, the headline band uh, wasn't going to two o'clock in the morning sometimes. You know, <laughs> you were, yeah, that was crazy. We, we were younger back then, so we didn't really care, but. I was like, holy shit. I, I, I think about it. Like, not how many nights I've gotten into my car. And I was like, where are you going? So I'm going to go to Brooklyn to see a band at St. Vitus. 15 minutes later, I'm walking back to the door. She goes, what happened? I says, I don't know. <laughs> I just can't turn the key and go. <laughs> and I hate being you like know, that. No, you're, you're right. you know, I, I tell you the truth, Mike. I think, I think if clubs kind of realize that, because when you're, when you're dealing with, you know, a, a, a music that really, you know, most of the people that are coming to see it, it's probably, you know, maybe now it's 50-50 where you got older people that liked it and some young people. But I, I, think, I think if they changed it around a little bit and started doing earlier shows, they would probably still make the same money because if the crowd shows up and drinks, the bar makes money, the people are happy, you know, the, the owners are happy. Yeah. And, I, and I also think, I think more people would come out to shows cause, yeah, because, you know, when people ask me, hey, what time are you going on? Oh, we're going on at 11. Oh, 11? You know, it's like, see, you know, that, yeah. that's people. People, people don't want to, you know, we're not kids anymore. Nobody wants to be out, you know, like seeing a band starting at 11 or 12 or 1 o'clock in the morning. So clubs, if clubs got on board and, re, and kind of retooled their whole, you know, thought process as to the way the scene is, I bet you any money you would get people showing up at 8 o'clock if they knew the whole show was 8 to, eight to 11. And, you know, yeah. and, and again, it's like, it's like going to a, an arena concert. You're in, you have a great time, you're home at a decent hour, and everybody's happy. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, the time doesn't bother me so much as knowing that I got to get on that BQE coming from Staten Island and sit in that <laughs> fucking traffic. That's what bothers me more than anything. I know, like, if it's a weekday show, it don't matter what time you get out of there. You're sitting in freaking traffic with people going home from work or construction. I'm like, I just don't have the head to sit on the BQE for an hour. And that's what even yeah, you're that's right. why I love when shows are in Jersey. I jump over the outer bridge, <laughs> I'm right there, and I just go to a show. That's not, yeah, that's not a, you're right about that. It's, it, it is. Even, even when I got to go into Brooklyn to fight it, I, gotta, I, I either got to go downtown and fight my way through Canal Street or, or I'll go across 34th to the Midtown Tunnel 
and the same thing. It's like if yeah. it's like I just gotta put I gotta put my patience cap on and just say, all right, <laughs> this, this 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 is what it is. I'll leave early enough this way. I'm not stressing getting there to miss what I want to see. But that's you're right about that. You kind of you gotta you know you gotta suck it up and just do it. <laughs> uh, I know. That that's why when I knew the show was gonna be at the paper box the night yet you guys were performing as I was actually at the paper box in Brooklyn same same area almost I'm looking right. for parking garages in the neighborhood online so I could like know where the fuck like I'm like out of like driving around saying fire looking for a parking spot for an hour I'm like thank God there's a garage a block away oh I, well I know I I had well you know I went to the one the, the festival there last year at the paper box and we found street parking I I you know so I I don't think it was that bad you know. But if you find oh, a garage, more power, more power to you. But you you might find you know you might want to look for a street spot and say you know save yourself some money, you know. But if you can't, at least if you have one, good. You know you you know you got a place to park. But uh, yeah, it's it's definitely tough. Not not yeah, easy. Yeah, I know. Well, I mean, you're just gonna do the, the at the at the Rage of Armageddon. You're just gonna do the, the second coming straight through. You're not throwing anything else in there, right? No, that's it. We we, we basically with time just for that set. We're going to get up there and do it just like the CD. Boom, straight through, you know? I mean, we'll stop for a minute to catch our breath, but, but yeah, we're going to do just that whole album. It's not going to be like yeah. boom, boom, boom. Because it's funny, too, because that album, you know, out of all the stuff we've ever recorded, that's the most difficult album for me because the whole album is double bass. And, and that, that's actually the most challenging one for me. So, it's, so we've been rehearsing this stuff, and some of the songs we haven't played since the 80s, you know, myself, and I'm like, and I keep, and I keep saying to my, I said to myself, I said, if I would have known in 1988 that I was going to play this stuff 30 years later, <laughs> I would have been, I would have been playing more like Phil Rudd from ACDC. This way, I wouldn't have to worry about the age factor and you know, <laughs> getting in the way. But, uh, but it's, I tell you, it's a challenging album, you know. And, and truthfully, I've actually had to a, a, adapt a little bit different to the songs. And, and kind of because some of the stuff is challenging for me, so I have to kind of kind of finesse it a little bit and do it. I have to do a, a couple things slightly different to make it work. But you know, I, I mean, I've been doing that in a lot of the Second Coming stuff for you know since we started playing again uh, for, from some of that stuff. And you know, nobody's ever said anything about it. But it, it is it is tough stuff. I mean, that 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 album literally from top to top to bottom is all. All friggin' double bass. It's like I never stopped. My feet kept going, my hands kept going, and I, I, I listen to it now and go, "What the hell was I? What was I? How many cokes <laughs> did I drink before I? You know, how much oh, caffeine man. did I have before we did that?" <laughs> well, you know, it, you know, it kicks off the Lords of Thunder and blisters with that, and then ends with Iman, which is no name backwards, and it just yep. kills straight through. But I know you've always done songs here and there off the record, but I mean, never the whole record straight through. So when you no, go into not, not, not for that one. And other band members never even played anything off that, probably. I mean, or, or knew, knew not, didn't really know a lot of the songs. Was it difficult getting everybody together to do all the songs? And did, were there songs that you actually forgot how to play that you had to kind of go back and listen to again? Uh, I, well, as far as the other guys, I mean, we've, we, you know, with the current lineup, we've already done Lords of Thunder, Zero Hour, Revelations of Evil, uh, and Eminon. So we, we, had done it, we had done half the album. There's only other four. Uh, now, now we just they, they basically I think I think with Bobby we we had with the the during the last record we had done Captives of Babylon but we never did the Madness never did the instrumental Octagon and we never did Desecration so so basically it really wasn't that hard like they those guys are you know they're like I said they're all on top of the game you tell them hey next week learn this song they learn it we get them play but for me 
I absolutely it's not that it's not that I forgot them, but I have to listen to them for some of the different drum fills, because uh, some some things I remember and some things I forget. Oh yeah, that's right. I gotta I gotta do that one in that spot. I mean, I, I try to recreate it, you know, as far, as exact as I can. You know, I don't I don't just wing it because there are certain fills that happen in certain parts of the song. So yeah, I have to sit and listen to everything. And you know, go back over it myself, and and then you know, now that we've started, we've been rehearsing them. Actually, right now, the only song we actually haven't even played yet is the instrumental, Octagon. Octagon, so yeah. We're, we're probably going to start that next week, and that song is only a minute and fifty-five seconds, so it shouldn't be that bad. <laughs> well, listen, my whole sex life is only about fifty-five seconds. That's pretty bad if you ask my wife. So you got another minute on me. <laughs> so yeah, it's a. So it's, it's it's been it's been interesting. It, well, it's funny because with everything we got going on, we're working on new material. We just played a show down in Washington D.C. last weekend, yeah, and I we saw had that. to kind of you know. And then the week before that, we had to do the set we were doing. We hadn't played any of the set songs since last December. So so because we, we we've been so compartmentalized. But okay, we're working on we're working on the second coming stuff and the new song. So we didn't do anything old. You know, and so we had to we had to learn, make sure we go over the whole set of songs, the whole hours worth of music. You know, now today, or we we rehearsed this morning, we just worked on the new stuff and second coming. You know, that's what we'll do for the next couple of weeks leading up to the recording. Once we finish the recording, uh, then we got a couple of weeks before uh, you know for the Rage of Armageddon Fest. Then we'll just start really hammering the second coming stuff. So we gotta we keep having to change gears a little bit. You know, to kind of fit everything in, you know, because again, we don't play, we only rehearse once a week, so we got to make it work. <laughs> sure. Well, with the new with the new material you're working on, and you're gonna work in the future, you know, Mike is gonna have a bigger songwriting responsibility now. Is John gonna be involved in the songwriting also, along with you guys? Um, basically, I mean, it's up to them. I mean, right right now, the the, the four songs we're doing, actually, Mike did write them. And you know, well, all the guy, all the guys in the band, anybody's welcome to present something if they have it. Um, you know, him or Brian hadn't presented anything yet, and you know, I always encourage him. I say, hey, if you guys got stuff, bring it to the table. You know, and but uh, but up until now, I guess they hadn't had. You know, I don't know if they don't have anything ready or they just didn't feel you know feel like you know putting anything forward. But you know, I I would hope you know that everybody kind of puts their you know input in as well. But again, they they kind of do because when we're working on the songs, even though Mike writes it, you know, John has ideas for things. Hey, hey, why don't we try doing this here? Or, you know, or add this rhythm, change the rhythm a little bit to this. You know, and and that's pretty much the same thing with Bobby. Mike will write the song. Bobby will say, hey, we have to extend this part lyrically for this. We have to shorten this. So everybody does kind of have input, you know, into what what goes into it. You know, even though they didn't write the song per se, it's still it's still an attacker group effort regardless. You know what I mean? True. Yeah. You know, I hope, just hope Mike loses the baby weight before the next show. <laughs> it's fine. No, he was joking about that. <laughs> I'll tell you, I'll tell you what though. I want, I want to, I want to give him, I want to say, uh, you know, that I, I give Mike a, a huge amount of respect because he basically had, you know, he just had the baby like two months ago he just bought a new house within that same time frame and had to move, and he still has not missed a rehearsal, and he's on top of everything. So kudos and a lot of respect to Mr. Benetatis because I, I, me personally, I bet, I bet you 50 bucks. If I just had a kid, I'd be like, oh, I'm not going to be at rehearsal for uh, you know, two months or whatever. So yeah. you know, he, he's, he, he, hasn't, he hasn't missed a beat, man. He's, he's on it. 
He's on his game. He's doing everything, and he's got all that going on in his life. So I, you know, I know from you know being kind of like you know the band leader. I have a lot of respect for that, and 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 a lot of love for him for that. He's awesome to do that. So you know, everybody out there who's listening, clap for the guy because what he's what he's got, what he just went through, and and he's and he's doing it all and handling it. Awesome, man. You can't you can't ask for a better teammate. You know what I mean? Absolutely, and he's one handsome son of a bitch too. When you guys play live, I have to stand on the left side of the stage because I can't even look at him in the eye. It's like looking at Derek Zoolander when it gives you that blue steel look. <laughs> Mikey, listen, I, I always make a joke about Mike too because when we post stuff on Facebook, like he, he's obviously he's, he's got like he's maxed out his friends I think on Facebook, and I have maybe like two thousand something. But if I post something and then two seconds later he posts it. He'll have ten times as many likes and comments as mine, <laughs> even if we have a lot of the same friends. So it is, I told him, I said, Mike, you are you're our PR guy. When I need something put out there so people notice it, I'm going to give it to you for you to post it. I said because apparently people don't pay attention to me; they pay attention to you. <laughs> so yeah, he he is he is the handsome man of the band, and uh, you know, and he's 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 the PR guy, man. So that's it. <laughs> I, you I hand put- it over to him. You should have put Mike's picture on the cover for Thresh Ranch. I mean, I still would have been in my bedroom anyway, probably. Well, you know what? We could have, we could have had him on there just giving a nice <laughs> smile. You know what I mean? And it probably, it probably might, might have sold half a million. Who knows? <laughs> you never know. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Very you put true. me on, hey, no. the, 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 you put me on, it's the reverse. But, uh, but yeah, no, it's all, uh, it's, like I said, it's, 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 been, it's been good, man. I mean, we, you know, that, that's another reason why, you know, we, we're not probably doing as many shows this year because, you know, um, obviously him having, you know, having, you know, the baby and stuff, you know, he wants to be, he wants to be with his family and his baby. So, you know, we, we can't be booking shows, every, you know, every other weekend or, you know, too many trips away. So this, this year is going to be, we're still, you know, we still got, you know, we're still going, uh, like I said, we got Ed's show. We're going over to France in September. And we're also going to be on the uh, Frost and Fire Festival out in Ventura, California in October. So, so nice. we've got a couple of good, we got a couple of good trips going on. So we're, we're happy. You know what I mean? Again, we don't, we don't do this for a living. And pro- probably doing a handful of great things a year is, is enough for us, you know, because, because of jobs and things like that where we don't stress ourselves out. And it may, you know what, we, we do some great things, meet some new great people, get to see all the great people that we met and became friends with, you know, from past trips, and it's all good, man, you know? You can't, you can't, be, you can't ask for more than that, honestly. Not at all. It doesn't get better than that. Hey, Mike, we're going to have to cut you loose because the show is technically over a couple of minutes ago, even though we're still live on air. I'm going to play a few tunes and wrap oh, it up, okay, man. Not, but... not a problem. I'm, I'm, gl- I'm glad we got to kibitz for a little bit. Hey, that's always a good thing. Hey, listen, like I always say, you were my first guest, and when this show ends, you'll be my last one, which might be pretty soon. It might be after today, but you never know. <laughs> Try to keep just on going a little longer. Yeah, keep going. But, but, but you know, if you know you're going to quit for real without dropping dead, let me know, and I'll be the last guest as well. <laughs> I, hey, listen, I think as long as I'm not a member of your band, I got a good shot of living a little longer, so I'm happy actually, about that. You actually do, Mike. So when you come to see us, stay at least 10 feet away, all right? I have to only because if I get any closer than that, I might have to marry Mike and steal him away from his wife. So you know, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> All right, Mike. Listen, you know, I always love talking to you, man. I'll see you in a couple of weeks in Brooklyn. Absolutely, Mike. Thanks again, and everybody out there, keep listening to Mike. Talk to you soon. You got it, buddy. Take care. Bye bye.
All right, let's get some uh, Jersey Dogs on first. The Thrash Trans record is going to be re-released by Heaven and Hell. It comes with the bonus EP. Two great albums for the price of one. Jeremy, like I said, always does an amazing job on his products. Pick it up. I'll let you know exactly when it's coming out. Like Mike said, there was a slight delay with the album cover, but it'll be here soon. Here's Medicine Man.
Man, he has some voice, huh? But Bobby, he's an all-around great singer. And, hey, Bobby sings our theme song here at the show, so I can't wait to hear Bobby doing all those songs live. I want to thank Mike Sabatini from Attack. It's always fun talk with Mike. We can go on for hours. Unfortunately, the show does run out of time after a while. And I want to thank David Aylor from August. If you're in the Brooklyn area this April, the Rage of Armageddon Festival is three days long. Uh, Hobbs' Angel of Death had to be taken off the bill because Peter Hobbs has a heart condition and he can't tour. I don't know if he's going to play at all anymore, but uh, it looks like they got At War to replace Hobbs. That's going to be on a different date. Uh, they went from a two-day festival to a three-day, so they're playing with Blood Feast and a few other bands on a different night. Uh, but the Saturday night show at the Paper Box, Attack, uh, Thrust, Tyrant, so many other bands are on that bill, too many to name. Check it out, be there. I want to thank everybody tonight. Also, earlier, uh, right before uh, Mike called in, I, I played Objecta. They're a great band out of Belgium on Malevolence Records. Check it out, pick it up. The mic kind of went dead because I was trying to connect Mike at the time, so I, I couldn't really get through to anybody. But kill a band, kill album, pick it up. All right, we're going to wrap things up here tonight. We'll do two songs back-to-back. Since we're in New Jersey, we'll do a new song by Cycle Prism called Kronos. And we're going to follow it up with No Coin and Abyss. Take care, everybody. I'll see you next Sunday night. Our guests are Philadelphia and Borealis. Don't forget to tune in. I'll see you guys then. Take care.
a matchup. And what a tee, Mike. MetroPCS and the iPhone SE for $0 on a network that covers 99% of people in the U.S. Oh, impressive. Play with the best. Switch to MetroPCS and an unlimited LTE plan and get a 32-gig iPhone SE for $0. MetroPCS. Coverage not available in some areas, plus sales tax. Claim based on talk and text. Not valid for active numbers currently on the T-Mobile network or active on MetroPCS in the past 90 days. See store for details and terms and conditions. Enjoy happy hour at Dunkin' Donuts from 2 to 8 p.m. with any medium beverage for $2. Energize with a freshly brewed tea or espresso drink. Whatever medium beverage you're drinking, we're serving, and for $2 from 2 to 8 p.m. So stop by Dunkin' today and pick up any medium beverage for $2 from 2 to 8 p.m. and make it the happiest hour of your day. America runs on Dunkin'. Participation may vary, plus applicable taxes. Exclusions may apply. Limited time offer. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.